Well, we've been talking about King David the last few weeks, and we've been discussing his life and how God has taught me through David's life about leadership. And it's very special to me, um, this particular topic, because it wasn't one of these courses that I walked through with somebody. I just opened the book of David, and I was just like, one to the Lord, Lord, just teach me, teach me through his life to be a better leader. And so I spent a lot of time a few years ago just looking at the life of David and just seeing what spoke to me. So I'm sure as you read his life and you read the book of First and Second Samuel that you will get a lot more out of it as well. But I'm just sharing some of the nuggets that I received while studying this out a few years ago. Um, the first leadership principle we looked at was, is a leader called or are they made? And so we looked at how that was both, that leaders are called, and we saw that in the, in the, in the book of, of, of Psalms and in the book of Jeremiah, that when we were being formed in our mother's womb, God says that he knew us while we were in our mother's womb, that he knit us together and that he knew us, and the days that were set before us were fashioned into a book. Is that not cool? In Jeremiah, he said, I knew you before you were born. I knew you in your mother's womb. I anointed you in your mother's womb, and I set you apart for a calling. And so before Jeremiah's feet even hit the ground, Jeremiah was on course for his life. And we can expect the same for us. We are the children of God, and he is no respecter of persons. We're not going to have Jeremiah's calling. You're not, but Sean's going to have Sean's calling, and Jan's going to have Jan's calling. And you were knit together in your mother's womb, and, and even though we're fighting through the fall, and we might get some bumps and bruises along the way, God has known us and called us before we were ever born, before the earth was ever made. We've been called to be on this earth. His workmanship created for good works. And that's why I always say it. Don't try to be somebody else. Be you. Be who God has called you to be. Our only journey in life is to seek God and find out who he has called us to be because you are the best you. And you're a terrible somebody else. And so we saw how we are chosen. We are called beforehand. We're born leaders, but that we're also made leaders, that there is a process in life that God wants us to go through to take us from glory unto glory to be better. And the wonderful thing about leadership is that I remind us every week is the fact that unlike steer wrestling where you shouldn't be steer wrestling at a certain age, leadership, the older you get, the better you should become, the more valuable you should become through your experiences with God. And you should be able to share with more people and be farther ahead in the game. The, the older you get, the more valuable you become. And so that's awesome to know as a leader that as you climb in age, you will even become more valuable. And so we saw that. We also saw how a good leader serves. And we saw how David was just constantly serving. A matter of fact, when God went to anoint David through the, through the prophet Samuel as leader, Jesse brought all his sons out thinking they were one of his first seven sons and Samuel couldn't find the one to anoint. God kept on saying, not that one, not that one, not that one, not that one. And finally, Samuel said to Jesse, David's dad, do you not have another son? He says, yeah, but he's out serving. He's the little ruddy one out serving the sheep. And that's where we found out that God does not just look on the person. He looks on the heart. And he knew David like he knows us before he was ever born. And David was just doing what he should do is serve. And we found out through the kingdom of God that servanthood is the fast track to leadership. That he who is the greatest in the kingdom of God is what? The greatest servant on the earth. He who is the greatest in the kingdom is the greatest servant. And when you humble yourself, the Bible says, under the mighty hand of God in due time, what? He shall exalt you. And I always say that if, if your boss is getting ready to promote you, that's one thing. But if God is getting ready to promote you, <laughs> whether it's through your boss or whether it's through something else, there's not a devil in hell that can stop it. Serving 
people and serving the ones around you positions yourself for promotion in God. We saw how leaders respect timing, that in these serving moments, that we're not in a hurry to get to where we need to go. And that's a hard one for certain personalities, especially leadership personalities like myself. It's so hard. I just want to be there all the time. And it's sometimes really hard for me to slow down and smell the roses that are around me and enjoy my day. But the fact of the matter is, it's in those days that God is teaching you for the next level. You know, when David went to fight Goliath, Saul said, like, how are you? You're just a little youth. And David said, listen, I was tending the sheep and a lion came and I took my hands and I smote him barehanded and killed him. A bear came. I killed him. And I killed the bear and I killed the lion. If I killed those two, I can take on him. See, David just saw things while he was serving and learned to trust God and learned his anointing and learned his power that God had given him in the serving so that when Goliath came in front of everybody, he had already spent his time with God. He had already spent his time growing in God. That's why it's so important that we just keep serving and learning while we're serving, talking to God while we're serving. Because we might think that things are coming our way and life is terrible because there's a lion and a bear that just came into camp, but God just might be preparing you for Goliath. And so be careful every day to pay attention to what God is doing in our lives. So we respect timing. Leaders respect timing. And so David ends up in front of Goliath for one of the most greatest stories that we still talk about today, the story of David and Goliath. I'm not going to get too much into it. I don't have time, but David goes down, he defeats Goliath, cuts off the head of Goliath. And all of a sudden after he does that, the Israel army that is in complete fear gets courage and runs down to fight the Philistines. And that's a cool thing about leadership. When we spend time with God fighting the bears and we spend time fighting the lions, all of a sudden God will give us a victory in front of other people. And what does that do? It encourages other people. When we're excited about God and God is doing great things in our lives, guess what happens? Other people get excited about God. Other people think they could do it. Other people want to go after him. And so it's important that we spend our, our alone time with God so that when we're in the presence of others, it's not something new to be talking with God or about God, right? And so David goes down and he gives everybody else around him courage to fight because he obtained a victory knowing God. So we looked at that part. Then we looked how God developed, began to develop relationships in David's lives. The first one we looked at was Jonathan, how Jonathan was put into David's life. And we're going to look at that a lot more. But we looked last week on how important it is to have godly relationships in our lives. It truly is. And you need to clarify who those relationships are in your life. Don't be careless about relationships. Don't be. Because you need different types of relationships. You do. You need all sorts. You need people to be raising up. You need peers to be around you. And you need people to speak into your life that say, hey, you're doing great, or hey, you're acting like an idiot, that you can trust, that you can trust. And there's not many people of those in your life. There's not. Matter of fact, I remember listening to T.G. Jakes one time, and he said there's three types of people that we have in our lives. Those that are for you. He says just a handful. You'll have those your entire life, just a handful. The people that are actually for you, for you. Thick and thin, they're for you. They're there and they're speaking into your life and they're encouraging you or they, are, or they are challenging you because they are there for you. And there's only a handful of those. Hold them like gold. Hold them like gold. And then he said the other group, of, the next group of people are people that are in, our in your life that are for what you're for. 
And there's lots of people like that. And maybe just simply like you're on the same sports team together. You're for winning a game together or you're in a business together. You're for excelling in that business or you're for that paycheck. They're for what you're for. And that's the kind of the majority of people that you work with in your life is people that are for what you're for. And then he said, there's a third group of people that are against what you're against. And he said, these are the areas in the friendships that you have to be very careful about those that are against what you're against, because they will seem like they're on your side for a moment. But the moment that that topic changes, those people will shoot you in your own foxhole. I remember him saying that, and I never stopped paying attention to that. Be careful if you have friendships that are only there because they are against what you're against. Against what you're against. Oh, I hate that person. Yeah, I do too. Or I hate that government. Oh, I do too. That's the only reason you're there. Or I hate this. You're against it. Be careful of those people. They may look like they're on your side, but as soon as that topic changes, as soon as the wind changes, they're the ones that'll shoot you in the own foxhole. So the ones we really want to deal with, you want the ones that are for us. Secondly, which our major group is for what we're for. We have a common cause. Common cause. That's why it's so great as leaders that we promote those causes. What are we for? Not what we're against. What are we for? Everybody knows what we're for here. All my leaders and the people around here know what we're for here. We are a family friendly environment here. We are for exposing people in our community to the love and the life of God and doing it in a very kind, loving way. Being able to bring their children, not exposing them to things they shouldn't be exposed to. We know that here and we do a lot of that. And so we have a bunch of group of people that are for what we're for. Anyway, spending too much time. Then we looked at, I got to stop reviewing because I never get on to the next points. Then we looked at flattery. When David went down and cut off Goliath's head and they went into the, 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 the battle, when they were coming home, the women were chanting, Saul killed his thousands, King Saul, but David his 10,000. They were chanting, Saul killed his thousands, but David his 10,000 after they came back from battle. But do you know what? David had not even killed 10,000 by that time. It was a lie. It was flattery. And we need to be very, very careful about who we listen to. That's why it's important to categorize those friendships. Because some people say, Yahoo, you're doing a great job. And you might not be. And some people say, you're doing a terrible job. And you might not be doing a terrible job. You need to define the people around you so that when they speak to you, you believe what they're saying. And leaders are not steered by flattery or criticism unless it is warranted. All right, so this starts the anger of Saul and Saul starts to get extremely angry towards David and he actually wants to kill him. And we didn't get to the part of the story yet, but they're sitting around a table at one time and Saul actually grabs a spear and he chucks it. He gets mad, furiously mad and chucks a spear and David just gets out of the way of the spear and it sticks into the wall. And so Saul now is having these psychotic attacks up and down in these mood swings. One day he's like, oh my goodness, he's, David is good and blessed of God. And the next day he's like furious and angry and jealous and wants to kill David. And so he's up and down through these situations, but more often than not, he's trying to kill David. And so he doesn't want to look like he's going to kill him at his own hand after he tried to a couple times already. And so he's sending him into battle and into the Philistines and trying to get him killed. But David's just too anointed. Everywhere Saul sends him, he just starts beating up the Philistines one after another. And then all of a sudden, Saul finds out that his daughter, Michael, is in love with David. And so he says, aha, I am going to offer David, my daughter, Michael. But the dowry that I want isn't money, because David said 
will say in this story, I can't afford your daughter. Who am I? I'm just a lowly sheep herder. And so Saul says, okay, rather than a money full of dowry for my daughter, go out and kill me 100 Philistines. And like I said, you should, you should be reading the Bible because it is, it's, it's juicier and more provocative than all these other novels you're reading. You should just get into your Bible. Go kill me 100 Philistines and bring me back their foreskins as proof. I'm not saying that as a leadership style again. When we're talking about David, you got to remember they are in the middle of war. The Philistines are trying to kill them on a daily basis. They are going into battle. But Saul wants David to be killed. So he says, fine, you can have my daughter. Go kill a hundred of them and bring back a hundred foreskins to show me and my daughter's yours. I don't know how she would feel good about being traded for a <laughs> So David goes out and he does not kill a hundred and bring back a hundred. He kills 200 and brings back 200 foreskins back for the daughter of Michael. So my leadership point, leaders always go the extra mile. <laughs> always go the extra mile. Now it's a very poor example for doing it, but nonetheless, it is a valid point that David truly in the time of war was doing what he thought would please the king. And so leaders always go the extra mile. Proverbs 22:19 says this. Do you see a man who excels in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before unknown men. Leaders always go the extra mile. And I want to tell you, people always look at this. Always. When people just do enough to get by, they're overlooked. In your business, in business, if you're serving somebody else, or maybe you're just an employee, in a business, or whether it be in school, or whether it be in sports, or whatever it may be, leaders always go the extra mile. They always do extra. And I cannot emphasize that enough. If somebody asks you to do something, go farther. It is so noticeable when people do it, especially in the time we're living at now, because people don't do it. They don't. They don't do it. Go the extra mile because it's a godly principle. Do a job of excellence. You know the old saying, if something's worth doing, it's worth doing well, right? If something's worth doing, it's worth doing well. Leaders don't slack off here. Leaders go the extra mile. They do the extra things. They do the extra job. They clean up a little bit extra. Whatever they are asked to do, they go a little bit farther. That's what a leader does. And so I want to tell you, if you get one principle out of today, is that if you're going to do a job, do a job plus a little extra. And people will notice it so quickly. And not just people, the most important person. Notice it. God notices it. And when we serve and we do that and God gets ready to raise you up and you humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, in due time, He will, he will promote you. Proverbs 13.4 says this, the soul of a lazy man desires and it has nothing, but the soul of a diligent, the diligent shall be made rich. The soul of a lazy man desires and has nothing, but the soul of the diligent shall be made rich. You can't read the book of Proverbs and not end up at least being convicted about work. You can't. You read the book of Proverbs and it's like, it's all throughout there. God has designed us 
to be workers. God has designed us to excel. God has designed us to take dominion and to excel and to grow the garden, whatever we are doing to expand it, to take talents and multiply them. The scripture says we are called to do that. We're not called to sit around and just watch it like the, like the parable with the talents. One was given five, 10, and one was given one, and the one with one just buried it in the dirt. And God was furious with that one. And the guy was like, I'm just going to keep the one. I'll keep it safe. And the master was, no. If I give you something, we're to expand it. And God has given all of us talents, and we're supposed to expand it. We're to go the extra mile. We're supposed to walk into a room that's dark and give it light. We're supposed to walk into a room where there's no hope and give it hope. We're supposed to walk into a room where it's dying and bring it life, whether it be business, school, whatever it may be. That's what we are called to do. We are not to sit on our butts. Matter of fact, there was a preacher uh, just outside of Tulsa, Broken Arrow, um, Willie George. And he read some Proverbs and then he read God's design from the very beginning for work, which is six days and then rest one. And he challenged his church. He says, everybody has gone to five days, rest two. He says, I challenge you, all you people that are working five and two, just pick up something else, a little business, a little thing, and work the sixth day on something that you want to work on. And I don't know if he gave me stats or not, but he just said it was astronomical, the increase in finance that happened in the people in his church when just a portion of them decided to take on something new for the six. You know, now there's a lot of people who are already working six days and too much and all that kind of stuff. I'm not talking about that, but he just said our design is six and one. It's our design to just be moving and, and going. It truly is. Now, I'm not talking to the workaholics. You know who you are. I'm not talking to you. Proverbs 6, 6 through 11 says this. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider her way and be wise, which having no captain, overseer, or ruler, provides her supplies in the summer and gathers her food in harvest. He says, consider the ants. How long will you slumber, O sluggard? When you rise from your sleep, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep, so shall your poverty come on you like a prowler and your need like an armed man. So again, it's just telling us here that we're designed to get busy. We're designed to get busy. We're also designed to stop and have fellowship and stop and have rest and stop and have fun and put in a hard day's work and spend time with our family and friends afterwards or put in a good week and spend time with our family and, and, and friends. The Bible's very clear about that as well. But we are designed to just, and it's not just so that we're working and doing something. We are designed to take something and fix it. We are designed to take something dead and bring life to it. We are designed to leave it in a better condition than we showed up whether it be a person, whether it be a business, whether it be whether, wherever, whatever it is, whether it be a sports team, whatever it is, we're designed to walk into a situation and when we leave that situation, it should be better than when we first arrived. Does that make sense? And that's my prayer for us every morning here that we walk out differently and better than we came in. Better than we came in. All right, so we always go the extra mile. A leader goes the extra mile. I believe that God wants everyone in this place to go to the next level in leadership. And it's just a given. He wants everybody who belongs to him. God is always speaking to us. He is always taking us from glory unto glory. He is always giving us opportunity to fix something. He's always giving us opportunity to make something better. And like I said, that's why the journey is so much, maybe even more so, more important than when we get the victory. Because we learn so much in that journey. I remember I was driving down the road. I was talking to Steve Antall about it the other day. I was driving down the road one time and I was just speeding like crazy. 
And God didn't reprimand me in my spirit saying, slow down or you're going to kill somebody, which he probably could have as well. I just remember him speaking to my heart and asking me a question as simple as, do you ever wonder how much you miss trying to get to that place so fast? Miss from him, the divine opportunities? And initially, I kind of took it legalistically, and I would just drive the speed limit for a while, but that wasn't what he was trying to tell me. What he was trying to tell me was, why am I always trying so hard to get to where I'm going? Rather than just enjoying, I don't even know if enjoying the ride is the right word, paying attention to the ride. Why am I just trying to fill my belly rather than paying attention to the waitress that might need somebody to lift her spirit today? Why am I just trying to get my gas tank full at the gas station instead of maybe seeing someone across there who might need a hand or just might need a kind word or God might be trying to connect me for a future ministry or business deal? Why am I always? And maybe this is more for me than most of you because I am that way, terribly that way. I've shared, with this, shared you this story before, but, and this has happened more than, on more than one occasion is, Every morning I go for a coffee and I listen to podcasts, a leadership podcast. I just fill myself up and different leaders throughout the week and I'll take a piece of my morning and do that. And I was going onto the intersection over there at 248th and Fraser Highway and I was turning left and and I'm, I'm absolutely coming unglued because this person won't take the left so I can get going. And they're so slow in front of me. They take the left, I'm behind them and I'm so irritated trying to follow this guy because he's going so slow. And I felt like there was a question just in my heart, whether it was for me, whether it was from the Lord, I don't know. But the question was just like, where are you going? And the funny thing was, is I wasn't going anywhere. I was basically just driving in circles, drinking a coffee, listening to a podcast. And I'm so intense and freaked out that I'm driving slow, yet I wasn't even going anywhere. And so if I can just speak to a few of you here this morning on that alone, is sometimes we get so focused that we miss everything that God is trying to deal with in our peripheral right here because we're, we will not turn our heads. Whether it's in an airport lineup, whether it's in a grocery lineup, wherever it may be, we get so focused on where we're going that we don't receive and have the meetings that God wants us to have because we're not paying attention. Did you get something out of that this morning? Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for every person. I thank you for the worship. I thank you for scripture. I thank you, Lord, for the life of David. I thank you for your Proverbs. I thank you, Lord, that you are growing us more into the image of you. Lord, help us to be great leaders because we all need to be on this earth. Living in these times, God, with the people around us, help us to be great leaders. Help us, God, to take a whole pack with us and grow them up in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right. You walk out this door today, a better leader, having a blessed week. And remember, everywhere you go, the darkness can't stop you. You are a child of the living God that brings hope to the hopeless, light to the darkness. Somebody say amen. Amen. Amen.